0: Welcome to another rather different uh, week in sports cars uh, podcast, part of the Marshall Pruitt's podcast collection, Uh, with thanks as always to uh, Cooper Tires, to the Justice Brothers and to Toronto Motorsports.com. And I bring, I'm I'm afraid, both bad and good tidings this Christmas week, uh, dear listeners. Uh, The bad tidings are that uh, poor old Marshall Pruitt feeling a bit under the weather, Um, a bit of, I I think... Uh, it's a, it's a, a nasty tooth problem, which if anybody's had a nasty teeth problem, would know that uh, the pain that that inflicts is, is somewhat debilitating. So, Marshall uh, and for that matter, Chabrol uh, have a fabulous Christmas. We miss you for for this um, end of uh, year podcast, but uh, he will be back, I'm sure, next week. The good news, though, is that we 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 put out a clarion call to top quality broadcasting talent nobody was available um, so instead of that we put out a a, a kind of a call to top quality racing talent and no one was available um, and then I, I was i was out one evening and just shambling along um on the pavement in south london it's it a shattered husk of a man um but that's enough about uh the the delhi sports car photography team someone handed me a number and i'm delighted to say that we've got what well, very recently ex-mazda factory driver leman winner um all-round very much taller taller than his manager uh superstar harry tinknell harry welcome to the weekend sports cars <laughs>
1: Wait, i was trying not to laugh on that intro. that was amazing <laughs>
0: Uh, it's uh, thanks, uh, first of all, th- thanks at very late notice for for uh, coming along and and doing this. Um, we put out a bit of a late call for questions to you, and we're going to get into those very soon. But I'm sure you are uh, not only a consumer of uh, the competition out there in the Interweather Tech Sports Car Championship, the European Le Mans Series, where we've seen you as well um, this season and elsewhere, but also. What a lot of news we've had this week, and and I'm sure there's a fair amount of that, H, that you'll be very interested in. We've had our first glimpses of the uh, new for 2023 um, Porsche LMDH being uh, designed at the moment up at Multimatic. In fact, just minutes ago um confirmed by porsche that that car will not be having it shaked down this side of christmas but in, early in the new year instead uh that they're, they're saying that uh, some you know delays obviously the pandemics effects roll on um well I, I can ask you quickly you've seen the pictures i'm sure is this an era that's beginning to excite
1: oh absolutely i mean this time of year well you know like you're saying there's so much news at the moment and you know the season just finished but obviously daytona is just around the corner so in terms of people announcing their programs and and everything like that it's it's just one one press release after another which is amazing um but clearly i think we're going into golden era sports cars again which will be uh incredible it's a, it's, it's great that in my um career time uh, you know where i feel like i'm coming into my peak that, that, that the top category is going to be fantastic again and um clearly uh the new rules have um ticked a lot of boxes with the manufacturers and, it, and it's it, it, it's great that you know those rules are put in place but then you still have to have the takeover the manufacturers and so and you know then you get the announcements and then you you wait to actually start seeing the cars on track and so we're sort of like that second phase now of renderings and you know spy shots and all that sort of thing so it's very very exciting for sure
0: it's great stuff it's great stuff beyond that um I think possibly the most surprising part, uh, bit of news, it's something we dragged out with the help of a uh, one of the fans on the Reddit, WC Reddit um, uh, subreddit, uh, that uh, pulled out the fact that the company behind the Baikalis team has registered in Germany uh, a famous racing name, but a very old racing name, Van Wall. Could Van Wall be coming to hypercar? Um, with Bycolis. Nothing uh, received yet by the way from the team. I did pull out some feelers and ask for, for an opportunity for a chat, but nothing coming back. So I think we can say at the moment, the 1958 uh, F1 Manufacturer's Champion, uh, in fact, I think that was the first year that was a Manufacturer's Championship. Um, could that be coming to the hypercar class? That's quite an interesting one. In the Weather Tech Sports Car Championship for next season, a new full-season uh, face, but a face that will be familiar to you. And I know, not necessarily on the same level because there's something of a height difference. But Will Stevens uh, in at Wade Taylor Racing, surprise move, H.
1: Yeah, I mean, him and Alan get on well. Obviously, they're very similar sort of uh, level when they're when they're drinking <laughs> their coffees at the uh, at the espresso bar in, in the WEC. Um, now, Will's a great lad, uh, clearly, and he's been doing. He's actually, I think, been. Slightly under the radar uh, the last couple of seasons. Uh, Maybe with Panis in LMP2, you know, obviously, you know, a very strong outfit, but, you know, it's maybe not as big or as sexy as a United or or a Jota or a WRT now, but, you know, quietly because, sort of always on the podium or near the podium and doing great stints so
0: well yeah I mean the yeah, first but, first DLMS race win for the team this year and actually exactly. followed that up the, the next very next race was Le Mans and a podium at Le Mans
1: exactly you know it's, it's huge and I think probably when you look down a list of runners and riders going into that you maybe wouldn't put them as a as a podium car just on the on the bare facts but actually um like I say very underrated and doing a great job and um and you know i remember when andy prio you know said to me when when i first went to imsa he said oh once you once you go to america you won't want to come back you know it's so, it's so good over there clearly wex you know also you know it's, it's, it's a embarrassment of riches really for sports car drivers at the moment but um you know so i always say to people like when when they first go over, you're gonna you're gonna love it And they turn to such a good race you know it might not be the absolute classic track to drive over one lap, but for a race, it's absolutely amazing. It's like the opposite of uh, Abu Dhabi.
0: Fantastic stuff. Uh, amongst the other headlines this week, uh, two new Porsche factory drivers confirmed, Dane Cameron and Felipe Nazza Clearly that's all to do with Preparation for LMDH. but Felipe already confirmed uh, in a GTD Pro car. We'll come back to that class uh, shortly. Beyond that, huge amount of LMP2 news, and that's been a class that's you know you've held dear down through the through the years. Alex Lynn uh, will complete United Autosports uh, WC squad for 2022. G-Drive Racing with their first efforts at the Rolex 24 with two cars and some very good drivers uh, coming there as well. We've seen as well announcements from. Uh, dragon speed with an astonishing crew there it looks but uh, definitely just francesco uh colton herter and P- uh, pato ward uh coming out to play for the rolex 24 uh, for them era motorsports will be back and then some news about um the the latest tranche of changes that are going to be coming lmp2's way in the FIWEC and European Le series. This is the stratification process, Ari, with the the hypercars. Not a huge power dip. It's another eight kilowatts there. But a change in the fuel tank uh, size down to something like 65 litres from 75. And that's principally, in fact, completely to do with keeping those cars out of the same kind of strata uh, as the hypercars over a full race distance. Um, It's not been an area where we've seen each of the race organisers take the same routes, not the route that, for instance, Impressor has taken. LMP2 has been a a place for rich pickings for yourself in the the past. It it gave you a Le Mans win. How do you see the class right now uh, in terms of its appeal, in terms of it being there as a kind of playing field to allow uh, drivers to display their talents ahead of this brand new era?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's the perfect proving ground, isn't it? And I think clearly um, if you're a, a youngster coming out of single seaters and you want to become a professional, then it's kind of the go-to class. You know, maybe you start you know, on the on the ladder with LMP3 and then LMP2. But um, I think it's never been more competitive all over the world. And I think clearly... Um, Races like Daytona, P2 teams, uh, and, and now, and so, you know, that's becoming more competitive as well. Uh, ELMS, for me, is one of the hardest, you know, this year was one of the hardest championships I've done, you know, because it's so many stacked lineups, um, so many good cars, and, and, and clearly in wet too. And I think, you know, I remember hearing about, oh, maybe with Hypercar, you know, it will sort of kill off P2 a bit. But I think, for me, the budget difference is going to be so big that you're, and, and ultimately, you're going to be up against, you know factory teams of all professional lineups i i i do, I do think pt will still have a very firm place in in the marketplace going forward and i actually really like now how they have the program as well because you know back in when i was first proving myself in sports cars i would say the bronze drivers now were more like more likely to be rated silver so like for example you know i was racing with simon dolan who obviously a lot of the listeners will know and remember us being for me one of the best sort of amateur drivers but i think he would now be classed as the bronze and it's very difficult for these days for a bronze lineup car to compete against the likes of you know wrt and eca who's getting up fastest that to the race of the silver so it's great that they have that sort of bow as well in terms of you know separating it out so your likes of you know, henry headman's and 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 you know drivers who have been successful in business or or another walk of life can come in, you know, in their forties or fifties, and still fight for victories at the moment. Because I think there was a period where that sort of went away, and then it became a lot harder to find drives as a professional, because yeah. ultimately all that funding went away with them. So they've, I think, they've got a nice, a nice uh, little um, thing going there now.
0: It's going to be an interesting period, isn't it, where we we transition into LMDH, where at the moment it's a full pro. Uh, formula on both sides of the Atlantic and that means that you're looking for a wholly different funding structure because you you know if you want to be competitive um, and you're you know even a gentleman driver is as good as you mentioned Simon Dolan he was a great example in his time uh, with you that's the reality though is against full factory talent that's going to be difficult to be anywhere close particularly with a field that that's that deep it'll be interesting to see just how that market comes together particularly when these privateer cars start to come on stream from 23 and onwards Uh, but uh, but we will see about that Uh, aside from that the other kind of areas of news principally around large uh, numbers of teams beginning to come forward now for what looks like it's going to be an absolutely stacked rolex 24 marshall and one of the stories he's put in for uh, racer.com talking about there needing to be a selection committee for at least parts of the Rolex 24 entry that that will be a full entry of 60 cars uh, including significant entry in the brand new class for uh, for the coming season that being GTD Pro which I think he mentioned the number of 13 for the Rolex 24 and pretty close to double figures for the full season and announcements during the week from FAF Motorsports which will be uh, Matt Campbell and, that's Eugenie. and as we said a little earlier, uh, Felipe Nazar, we know there's going to be two Corvettes. TR3 Racing will be the Lamborghini um, uh, team there. And a uh, story we broke on, Daily Sports Car, that uh, uh, indicates that it looks like WeatherTech Racing might well bring two cars to play. and that, that looks very much as if they're strongly considering both being in GTT Pro. One likely to be a Porsche. The other looking likely to be a uh, Mercedes-AMG mercedes amg uh gt3 so it's it's coming and you know it won't be a surprise age that so when we're going to get we're going to segue seamlessly into the uh the questions that uh, we asked people this afternoon to bug your way and i'm going to start with one from alex harrison so buckle yourself in because alex is keen to know where you're going to be racing in 2022 can you tell us yet
1: (laughs) yeah i mean ultimately uh i'm contracted to automatic um and that's you know, going to be the case for the next few seasons so um clearly that has been quite a, uh an easy path to follow in terms of you know they obviously ran the, the ford GT program and built the car and they have always had engineering input and built the mazda and ultimately ended up completely running that. So it was quite like a seamless sort of transition. This is the first year where it's maybe not so clear. I think it, things will start to become clearer um, probably in the next few weeks, uh, get Christmas out of the way and everything like that. I'll definitely be at Daytona um, racing, which would be great. I love that race. It's the... It's the one. It's the one race of the of the four big ones in America that I haven't won yet. So oh really? Oh, wow. get that watch. Yeah, I'd like to complete that set, um, which would be amazing. Because
0: who's that? This, this, a guy who do we know that hasn't got a watch apart from <laughs> himself? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: he apparently, he watching, apparently he was watching the race this year at uh, uh, at uh, DC's flat. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think um, he. I think. I mean, obviously, I was gutted, uh, you know, to feel like I was in a chance of winning the race, and then we had that small problem with the rear wing and kind of driving around slightly wounded for the last hour. And I, I think he was living every every lap, every chicane, uh, going through the bus stop with me, sort of thing. And yeah, and I know, I know he was gutted because obviously he tried to win that race many times. He and, did. Uh, he did, and uh, he uh, did.
0: very spirited effort. I can remember. Yes. <laughs> trackside
1: yeah exactly he said to me after Petit, he said well done you've now won everything i have <laughs> so uh, <laughs> if i could try and, if i could try and get one better i'll, I'll, I'll do my best but and, uh, and of course you're going to yeah. reveal
0: right here and now that you know if and when you do win that race you're going immediately as a gesture of goodwill hand over the rolex to alan
1: oh it's quiet it's a quiet gesture i think alan's got one on Tuesday. hasn't he
0: i'm sure he has but uh, right let's move on then so we will be seeing harry um at the rox 24 there is of course going to be news to come of where we'll see your talents employed elsewhere and you know you it, know it's lest we forget by the way you did tick a, a very significant box this year um becoming one of very very few to race at le mans in all the contemporary classes Uh, with a start, an unexpected start in um, a a partly Multimatic crude uh, Porsche. So well done for that. I do like a little bit of, you know, history uh, box ticking. I know that was something of a surprise to you coming out of the ether pretty late in the day, but it was good to see you there uh, in a car that looked fantastic and went very well indeed.
1: It was, um, yeah, I I like those little stats as well. I think, did you say... Jerome B. had seven different classes or something, something like or that. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully with Hypercar um, or MDH D H whatever it ends up being. Uh, hopefully I can take t- another one at some point. But uh, we'll, yeah. we'll drone. Um,
0: if you're listening, Jerome coming for you. He's coming yeah. for you with his sights.
2: <laughs> so that's a quick look
0: of Alvarez uh, has a question about one of your uh, Mazda Racing teammates. Uh, he says, "Was it difficult to measure up to Jonathan Bomarito when his beard was in full bloom?"
1: I mean, Jonathan, it's it's difficult. Yeah, it's difficult being teammates to Jonathan because he's so good looking. It's just you know, yeah. you just yeah. struggle to really concentrate properly. But um, I mean, that's not
0: that's not what, what you said what, before we came on air. That's just not
2: well, that's yeah. just. <laughs>
1: What a, I mean, what a, what a sight to behold! Um, it just, I mean, we we were laughing because uh, uh, we were looking at the pictures from Watkins the other day, and I think that was like peak Jonathan. Like that was like literally been chopping down woods in the forest and you know, killing <laughs> rabbits, food, and then just gone. Oh, it's uh, it's Watkins tomorrow. Best head off.
0: Do you think and he was it, going was for like... a drive with Faff at that point? Is he <laughs> did <laughs> have the lumberjack bit about it? Is,
1: this is the amazing thing because then by the time we got to long beach and you know it's kind of that time of year contracts work you know looking for new teams and everything like like that and he's you know freshly shaven he's got like nice fitted trousers on his shirt i was like oh you can tell it's obviously contract time (laughs) i (laughs) guess (laughs) <laughs>
2: oh just, bless. Then
1: obviously he must have had some good news by batik because it was back to you know you know two or three weeks later i mean what a man he's just like full grown beard again it's incredible i mean Unreal. He, if the local sort of tennessee uh I, I don't know father christmas can't make it i, I guess he's an easy stand <laughs> go to he's ready to go uh no he's a great he's a great guy obviously and i think the Best thing about Jonathan for me is that he is just the ultimate team player. And when I first came across, you know, you've got to remember when, when you're racing in America, those tracks are very unique, one, but two, they have so little room for error. You know, most of them are pretty old school in terms of the, the safety and runoff. Um, and most of the time, you know, there's no Conversations like there was in Abu Dhabi about you know going off track and maintaining position. You go off track there and you've got about two meters of grass and you're in the fence. But when you actually think about it, it's the equivalent of an American driver coming to Brands Hatch or Croft. But the UK drivers have done Formula Four, Formula Three, Formula Two, and then five or six years of the British Sports Car Championship, and then you just throw in a random American driver on Friday Brands GP. And go, there you go, get up to speed in two sessions and qualify tomorrow. And so that first year was so, so tough in terms of like, I think I, I, we tested up like two tracks and that was it. And the rest of them, I'm just learning them on, on the simulator and then going there for the first time on a Friday in FP1. And so he was just so good at being, just divulging his years and years of experience and getting me up to speed as quick as uh, as possible. Because it doesn't matter who you are. And, you know, there's always that adaption time. And so, yeah, I just loved all four years of Jonathan. Every race I won in the Mazda was with him and it was amazing
0: and that they, they are challenging tracks, challenging tracks. It's partly a real well, appeal, I suppose.
1: It is. I mean, Road America and Watkins and Atlanta, you know, they're just you can have some monumental accidents around there if you if you make a mistake. Um, so you know, it's, it's a it's full, full commitment. Um and for sure, um it, it takes a little while, you know. I was speaking to Alex Lynn last week, he he was he was around mine a few weeks ago just on, on my little simulator at home. Um just just learning Daytona and I said to him like everyone will tell you Daytona is an easy track because it's six corners but the thing that they don't tell you is they've been there for the last 10 years and they've done 10 roars, 10 24s and 10 December tests and then you just rock up their first time it's difficult you know it's not easy yeah. so um and and he sort of said that to me afterwards He's like yeah you get there. it takes a while to find the rhythm so um yeah like I say he was Jonathan was so so good with just um being able to do that and like I say just the ultimate team player, really, obviously, fantastic driver. That goes without saying, but um, yeah, loved every second of uh, racing with him.
0: That segues neatly into a question here from Nikolai B, who says he can't think of a championship with as much variation venue as Imsus, whether it's an car championship. Is it something you consider as a driver from the outside, he says? It certainly appears a uniquely challenging calendar outside of the Nürburgring Langstrecker uh, series tests most facets of a driver's ability. I can see what he means by that
1: yeah definitely it's um it, it's pretty unique in terms of the fact that you know we do street tracks um, as well as obviously 24-hour races and you know you know two hour 40 races yeah there's a big big variety i know it's something obviously when i was with you know with forward weck that you know, the WEC organizers was that was part of they wanted to try and increase the variety in terms of race lengths and stuff like that so and clearly like tracks like Sebring you know you're not they don't build them anymore like that so <laughs> uh, and a lot of these places they're you know very historical so yeah. it's pretty cool to be on that same tarmac pretty much or concrete as you know when Sir so Sterling Moss and, and guys you know back in the day were, were, were racing there so and and to have your name on the winners' board is is, is, is pretty it is amazing. It's very special. Stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's a fa-
0: it's a fair point, isn't it? You know, if you if you literally built Sebring as it stands today, how long would the snagging list be at the end of that job? My um, <laughs> guess is they'd be there for uh, a
1: while. Don't but, think the builders are getting another uh, contract after that for sure. But, uh, <laughs> but it's but amazing we're... how you adapt to it. But the first oh, yeah, yeah. the first session you come in and you just go, what the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> shaking your fillings out and you just your eye, eyeballs are falling out but like you do adapt to it and you kind of sort of learn to like run roll with the punches a little bit um by the time you get to the race you wouldn't want it any other way but it's just i mean the first time yeah you, you just look at your teammates and you go what the hell is this about <laughs> uh, absolutely crazy but no i yeah definitely i mean not only the track sports but the cars as well it's huge huge variety in, in sports cars in general but certainly in imsa so it's definitely right up there with the most enjoy. I mean, I love the time at Ford and obviously with Jota as well in Europe in, in the World Championship. But IMSA is right up there as well. It's fantastic. Ryan
0: Terpstra has got something from the other end of the sports car firm. he says he's very sad to see Mazda go, as we all are. Uh, but as a longtime Mazda driver, he says to you, have you ever asked to jump into an MX-5 race? Those look fun. That they do
1: um the only time i've raced mx5 was during the lockdown on iRacing with uh, with all, all of mazda we were sort of guest drivers in the uh in the mx5 championship and oh, really? i really think I, I learned i learned enough from that about how special and unique those cars are to drive to know that i'd be very foolish to just want to jump into a race and uh <laughs> try and not look silly because you know those guys and girls that race those cars are are uh, super super fast clearly like the racing is ridiculous isn't it you know it's like four nice. car photo yeah. finish almost every single race you know you generally you want to be second or third going on to a last lap like how many car series do would you ever say that um other than maybe nascar but like it's just um yeah like i say very very neat to drive i have we we were supposed to well i know ollie's driven one round silverstone um okay. but we were supposed to have a go at some point but it ne- ne- never happened but maybe i'll i'll speak to mo and see if i can do a maybe a little private test session just to, Could be just to try out. it out I, would, I, would, uh, I, uh, I think like you'd be shocked i think any driver would be it's a bit like driving a E car you know they're so different to what a conventional car is like to drive and what makes you fast or what makes you slow that you just have to you just have to take that time to adapt and, and a lot yeah. of A lot of the drivers in it have been in it for years and years, so you know they're super refined, and it's a high-level championship in
0: in, in America. Well, I I can remember back in the days when I think it was SCCA used to uh, sanction it, and I was on a family holiday in uh, Florida. We went to see some friends at Auburn Beach. Um, We were staying in Orlando with uh, my then uh, rather younger son, that he is now. We were coming by Daytona uh, International Speedway and could hear that uh, there was racing going on it was a it was an scca meet and they allowed us you to hear the hum you could you could they allowed us to drive through with uh, with actually with competitors passes issued to myself my wife and my son and as we came through uh, the infield tunnel uh, it was uh, uh, then a uh, previous generation of mx5 race pulled over into what's down the campgrounds i've <laughs> never seen madness like it I, I mean i've never seen a race quite like it just streams um of mx5s i can't can't recall how many cars were in that race but it was dozens and it was it was it was it was cues bump drafting around uh the uh the uh uh, nascar turn four absolute um brilliant insanity and it's not changed so so let me
1: get this straight you're on holiday yes with your wife yes and kids and you took them to a racetrack. I mean yes. did she well, divorce but, you during uh, that my, race no,
0: my, my, my needs my life needs no needs absolutely no uh, encouragement whatsoever to, to go towards a racetrack. In fairness, when you see Daytona International Speedway for the first time, I'm sure you you had the same experience. It is a massively impressive structure. Oh, and you shit. sort of want to see it. Um, and as it turned out, the guy who was controlling the gate, bizarrely, uh, went to the same school in Surrey as my wife, as a, wow. as a young lad. Uh, so, yeah, we we went in, we had a look and it was it was good fun. But uh, yeah, Mazda MX-5's very tricky around some of those US circuits, as many <laughs> have found out uh, indeed. Um, Bart Frazier says, since Multimatic developed both, do you see the Porsche LMDH as an evolution of the Master RT24P? Or is it just too much of a radical departure?
1: <laughs> that's uh that's I a mean, question. What I say a little bit, but um I I saw that one and I the, that was interesting. I it's I mean it's not it's not a terrible philosophy for sure. Um clearly um it's a very correct statement that you know multimatic built the and design. The master and and are doing the same for for Porsche, obviously with a lot of help um, and along the way. But a lot of the same design team, you uh, know, Julian Sol and his team yep. are, are, are the same. So uh, as who built the the, the master, so clearly there, you know it's a it's a different it's a different rule structure. Yep. You know, there's obviously changes in the homologations and all this sort of thing. But clearly, there's learnings that get taken over or ideas that are improved upon um so um but let's see how it how how the final the final piece looks but it's it's i think for sure it's not a unreasonable suggestion i think
0: in terms of you know my take on this one having spoken to a number of people involved in the original project i would guess that the design team are relishing having a clean sheet again uh Pretty clearly, as a LMP2 platform, it was not optimum. Um, and they were given the opportunity to make the improvements that we know happened in the midlife of uh, the RT24P. And that made a huge, huge difference. And actually, having the multimatic influence here and multimatic world renowned suspension experts, of course, uh, I think you're going to see a very, very different um, kettle of fish emerging. Uh, you know what the looks would yeah. be like. We've had those first uh, first uh, hints that the the frontal styling appears to be influenced by the nine five six, which is what well, There's there's far less pretty cars to base your uh, your family look on. I'll I'll give it that much. Uh, we 100%. we not f- Sorry.
1: No, I was just going to say that um it'll be interesting as well. Having driven the Porsche at Le Mans, I was I was just it was such a a pretty aesthetically pleasing should i say car to in inside the cockpit you know the steering wheel
0: it said that I, I spoke and... to the car it said the same about you oddly
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness um so it'd be interesting to see how the sort of multimatic and how it all ends up looking you know with multimatic sort of um have and and Porsche sort of both having an input in it and and, and it will be It'll see how much of that gets brought over but it was i guess from the ford gt standpoint there was never re- it was never really built for customer cars mm-hmm. so it probably didn't need to be that aesthetically pleasing to a customer because it was never planned to be any obviously ben did do Le Mans uh, fairly well um but with the porsche obviously it's a huge customer background to it and i was just it was just a dream it felt like you're in a porsche so yeah. I hope that gets carried over to the to the MDH because it was just, it was just so, everything just worked so well. It was the steering wheel adjuster or the brake bias adjuster, just all these little things were just, it was very good.
0: Let's move on to uh, Melted on Twitter, who says, what's your biggest regret during your time at Mazda? Are there any notable differences between the approaches of Team Yoast and Multimatic? Uh, obviously Team Yoast brought in uh, in the middle period, if you like middle part, of the history of the RT twenty four P and Multimatic uh, moving to the four in what the last two seasons? Will I be right?
1: Um, yeah, it was well, yeah, pretty much. It was after Daytona twenty twenty um, okay. that uh, Multimatic took over full time. But uh, just on that one, I think it was kind of a it was a bit of a transitional period because. Um, Multimatic started, Multimatic were always involved in the engineering side of things, um, and support. And then Multimatic actually were hands on with the engineering and their engineers. So Lee produced on, on my car on the 55, and then the Decade on the uh, 77. Um, but even with Yoast management and Yoast mechanics, and then even when it went to fully Multimatic control, a lot of the Yoast or some of the Yoast boys and girls stayed. Um, So um, it kind of never really, things slightly changed. And obviously people who stood up in the meetings changed a bit, but actually like it didn't, it was just more of a transition than anything. Um, And I think it was also at the same time we were, the car was just always improving, you know, we had a big suspension and an error update at the end of um, 2018 um and we did a big uh endurance testing uh reliability improvements on the engine all right the way through the program so clearly the results were always going to get better as and, and reliability was gonna get better as went on but i i don't think there was a huge huge difference clearly like some personnel stayed some personnel left and i think you always as a race team you're always refining year after year but yeah. clearly th- we had great great success with the fully multi matic run Uh, and it was also amazing to have been a team Yost driver and uh, you know being part of a small part of their history Um, biggest regret has to be Laguna unfortunately uh, in that first year I was leading would have been the first win I wasn't really thinking about it too much at the time I was just doing my job and just ticking the laps off and I ended up crashing with a back marker which was a shame Um, I kind of to be honest, I didn't really I didn't fully understand IMSA, but I I didn't maybe appreciate quite so much how they don't let you buy when you're lapping <laughs> because uh, <laughs> uh, it was a it was a it was a P two it was a it was a it was a DPI car um, who was lapping. They were in that P five, so ultimately like even if it went yellow, they're not gonna the wouldn't have said, you know, they wouldn't really be able to do much. But yeah, I kind of it's one of those ones where, in the complete opposite way to the move that I did on Felipe to win the T yeah, I was like ninety percent committed, and that's when you shunt. Yes, you've just got to be a hundred percent committed, and then even if you hit each other, generally it's sort of side on, and then you bounce off each other and keep going most of the time. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but but yeah, that's the biggest regret because you know. That Was just yeah pretty heartbreaking because obviously John Doonan and Master and everyone had just wanted that win for so long. Yeah. And I think as drivers, we all wanted to to deliver that and yeah. be the first ones to deliver I, that. But I
0: don't think you should knock yourself out too much about it. I know, I know you know John would have told you post-race that all is forgiven it isn't by the way he tells me about it every time I speak to him every time speak.
1: <laughs> so, well the thing is at least I at least I made amends for it at Watkins the next absolutely. year so uh, so that was and, and a few times after that but yeah that's probably the biggest regret but honestly not many to be honest it was um a lot of the time you know I think we we maximize what we had and and, and you know at the start it was very difficult even to finish a race without having an yeah. issue and so I was just proud of the journey that we came on, to be honest. I don't really look back, especially at this season, I don't look back at all and think, oh, I wish I'd done this or I wish I'd done that. That's the only standout one. But like I say, I kind of rectified that um, in, the, in the years to come. So I don't, I don't lie awake thinking about it, but I certainly did for a week or two afterwards.
0: We've got four more questions. We're going to uh, lob your way before we get into some general uh, weekend sports car f- uh, fodder. Uh, on three very very different subjects. Going to go with the first here, which is from Pumpkin uh, on Twitter again. Having driven both this year, what are the differences between how you drive the Mazda D.P.I. and the Orica LMP2? Um,
1: the Mazda just wants to be abused. Just loves being absolutely ragged on the on the on the absolute limit of adhesion uh, and brake as late as you can into most of the corners. It's very um uh receptive um to your inputs and it's very it, it kind of tells you what it's going to do before it does it so you can sort of have confidence to hang it out knowing you're going to catch it i i can now say it that but now, now i'm not racing it anymore but i never felt like i could crash that car almost like I, I just felt so at one with the car and the car gave me so much feedback that to me yeah, it's a dangerous thing to say when you're still driving it, but now it's done. <laughs> it almost, it almost felt like a crash. It, uh, and that's that's the honest truth. Um, the Orica is quite different to that. The Orica doesn't really want you doing too much uh, all at the same time. It likes to break in a straight line and then release yep. off the brakes and turn into the corner and then accelerate in a straight line. Part of that's the tyre in Elam S, but it's, it doesn't like, if you start abusing it, like you do in the Mazda, it just, it's just slow and actually it can bite really hard. And when you just, when you think that you're all, you saved it, it snaps the other way. And it's like, wow, uh, I didn't expect that. So, um, probably slightly different approach actually in the Oracle, it almost, it almost likes being driven, almost like your, your fuel saving. That's actually yeah. the, uh, even in qualifying. A lot of the time, your driver's almost ever so slightly fuel-saving, which is incredible. You'd never think that that'd be quicker, but that's just the way it is. And so definitely different and definitely had to adapt to it.
0: I guess, guess I'm going to kind of expand on that a bit, which is you made your name in sports car racing in the previous LMP2 formula. And if I recall correctly, when we went into lockdown and we started doing these features to fill that space, and we did our best car, worst car, dream car, if I remember rightly, your best car was your Le Mans-winning Zytec, was
1: it not? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah.
0: Tell um, me a bit about that transition from that era with less power, less aero, um, to where we are now in terms of the capability of a full-rich, if you like, uh, Gibson-powered LMP2 car, irony being, of course, same, you know, uh, the same people – that car but in the case of your jota car it was a chassis in the case of the oracle it's the engine
1: exactly i mean when i think back to it and i look at the lap times we were doing in that in the gibson like it felt a fast car, it felt like a fast car it really did and these things now are just so fast the orcas you know they're so fast and they have so much power and yes they've taken away some bottom end which actually is a little bit frustrating like, off the corner but I mean the the speeds and the lap times at Le Mans, uh, especially you know pre uh, turning down and adding of weight, yeah. just so so quick. Um,
0: well, Twenty twelve factory the, Audi times. I mean it's
1: yeah bon- bonkers, it's incredible, incredible. Because I remember thinking when I was in the in the Gibson, you know, looking at the times from the LMP one cars, thinking, bloody that's so fast. And you actually look at the capacity. it's not that different. to, yeah. you know. The, the fastest that a p2 car has been around there um the the gibson was very it was actually because it was less power um power to weight ratio was actually quite similar to a former three car which i just jumped out of so to okay. me it just felt like a big a big f3 car uh, essentially whereas the i think uh an nmp2 car is probably more comparable to like a gp2 car these days so, you know bigger heavier way more power and, and definitely have to hold on to it a bit a bit harder you can definitely a bit more of a beast yeah um so you definitely you know producing lap time slightly differently but ultimately it's just mainly quicker everywhere which is like i say um they're just so fast now and it just means that in the traffic you really have to sort of you have to be the eyes have to be even more on stalks so you have to be even more looking ahead and preparing and um yeah it's 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 pretty fast, mate. What, what can I say than that?
0: Yeah, last guest presenter we had on Weekend Sportscast was Marina Franchetti. We talked with Marina about the, how can you put it, the, his, his real chance in the Peugeot programme hitting the buffers in 2012. Um, probably not a surprise to you that one of the other unicorn uh, uh, programmes that kind of promised much and then went away so one you were involved with it was the nissan the LM nismo and we've got a couple of questions here first is from stephen gates about that um who says if it had had the fully working i'm going to put in brackets he's not unreliable hybrid system bespoke michelin tires and a decent lengthy test program do you think the project could have been on the pace pace of porsche audi and tota and been a contender for victory at le mans yeah but I mean, you did a lot of the development testing in that car um, and both in both hybridized form and one of the very future, done that and obviously in the in the form that you then raced it um at Le Mans what was the the, the true world potential of that
1: yeah it's hard to say i I'm, one one thing that was interesting was when we were at Le Mans in 2015 I remember being around the Toyotas and thinking up, you know we, we were very fast in the straight even without the hybrid yeah. um and we were braking in very very similar positions um and that's interesting because i apart from when i drove a formula one car i've never experienced braking as well as when the hybrid system was working it was just on insane nissan. on the nissan which makes yeah. me think that we would have been. We would have gained massive lap time there. Clearly, we would have gained a lot of lap time in, in with the hybrid working fully. I don't personally. I, I think. I don't think it ever would have been on the pace. But I think it, if it was reliable, it would have won the one in 2017. Wow. Well, because well, was that was it? 2017 or 2016? It might have been 16.
0: 16. Was that the year that
1: Jota nearly won it?
0: No, 17 was the year Jota nearly won it.
1: Yeah. So,
0: so if they'd have managed to keep that car reliable
1: so and we, as quick two as two years was. down the line yeah two years down the line you'd like to think it's we made huge step strides post them on massive strides. it was all never to be seen outside yeah. of that that little testing team but you know we reliability was way better it was still an issue but it's way better you know the car had more downforce um there were so many better things about about the about, about the whole package. Everything improved as it would six months. You know, yeah, it, it, it pretty much got canned this time six years ago. It was about today, just before Christmas, just when you want want it <laughs> want the whole career to be on, up, you know, thrown into uncertain times. But if, I think it would have won. I think it would have won them on because if it would have been clearly. A lot faster than the P2 car, and Jota only a lap off winning it. So, would it have won on? Would it won on pure pace? No. Would it have been within three or four seconds? Definitely, I think. Yeah, definitely. Which would have been enough if it was reliable. It would have been enough if it was reliable. And and a lot of people forget that. A lot of people forget that. Um, Well, that's so. Yeah, I'll remind. I remind
0: the listeners for this. You know, this is Harry's not a contracted Nissan driver anymore. Um, and doesn't have to reflect like that. He could say, as you'll often see, internet experts saying how utterly terrible the concept was, blah blah blah. But you're not the first from within that program that doesn't have an axe to grind to say something really quite similar. We're going to go. We're going to ask a final question on the, the Nissan, which is from Gustavo Bamba, who says, "Fun question: How many Co Browns were running the GTR in this mode? No, I, I think you, you, I remember." you describing to me at the it was the kentucky track wasn't it where you tested yeah uh, the car uh back to back against the p2 car and i do remember you telling me about if and when that hybrid system was fitted and failed by the time you've realized it was failed it's too late
1: yeah yeah we were having to brake early everywhere in case it failed because it was kind of that unreliable um that you couldn't afford to break at the breaking point because if if it failed it it was 40 meters too late and you were in the fence so um so clearly you uh you always had to have a little, little dab of it at you know 40 meters before oh yeah it's working okay and then i can sort of lift off and then break break a bit harder later you know a little bit later into the corner but um there are a few i mean i don't i don't clearly want to talk too much like uh about contracts and stuff like that but there was in it, certainly in mine um a a bonus shall we say for not crashing because i think parts were um yeah well that, that's yeah, not that unusual <laughs> it's <going> to... <laughs> okay well i've not i've not had it since <laughs> or before and obviously at the time you know i was only 23 or something so i was probably compared to olivier Pla's and michael crumbs of this world, i was probably considered slightly more erratic or um or yeah you know, a risky pros- pro- prospect potentially so I, there were a few few co and why you don't think about money when you're driving well <laughs> I, I, oh, I nearly lost it there <laughs> I, I, i'm trying to gather the thing up from the fence but um i mean i was i was pretty lucky to be honest i didn't really have too too many big dramas but we were like you say we were we were testing it in kentucky at the corvette motorsports park and like, you know it's the pembry it's the pembry of America with no runoff when you're driving a bloody
0: lmp1 car
1: our yes. lmp1 car around there, it's like with, with aero
0: designed for le mans
1: yeah. i mean the steering column did did have quite a lot of giving it up and down which um yeah 210 mile an hour at le mans was probably a code brown in itself to be honest but uh, i remember we were sort of Uh, we were were sort of pulling straws for who was going to go out first in the in the first practice just because the car had never never gone at that speed before we just didn't know what was going to happen but this uh, this is the question
0: were you pulling pulling straws for who won the opportunity to go first or pulling straws (laughs) and the loser went
1: that's when i used to say michael you know you're the most experienced (laughs) (laughs) you you take the reins on this long pal but you know i as much as yeah as much as people you know dismissed that program and, and and clearly it never ran to its potential anywhere near it um and probably shouldn't have even been in the race in 15 probably should have delayed it and gone again in 16. for me personally that program was huge for my career and yeah. i went from working with Jota with eight people uh to all of a sudden being post them on the only contracted driver left testing because all the went off to to ford um, working with 50 60 people you know uh, yeah. with, a, with a with a pretty much open checkbook and open design process so that was that was massive for my career and sometimes it was so bad you had to laugh um you really did otherwise you'd cry because you know it was there were some tough moments but there's actually great people in that program and yeah. you, know, you actually look at you know your brandon fries and chris Mowers of the of this world you know they're all gone on to to successful programs and a lot of the mechanics have you know i see you dotted around in and all over the place so it wasn't it wasn't good people and fair play to darren for going with something completely radical and amazing that you know being able to you know go from idea to actually having that on the track but that didn't work out but like i say you know, for me it was it was it was perfect for my career even though I wouldn't win in that car or do anything of no actually, performance-wise. It was was just for my learning and understanding, becoming a race driver, making that transition from up-and-coming F3, out of single-seaters, trying to make it in sports cars, to professional factory driver. It was the perfect step and led to the Ford program and led to the Mazda program and the successes we've had since.
0: And to whatever chapter comes next, we're going to finish this roundup of uh, questions directed at you personally from... Our friend from Switzerland, right turn lover, who says, is Harry Tinknell Twisk enabled, i.e. can he contribute a notable pet? In other words, do you or does the Tinknell family have a pet? You may or may not know that uh, we have regular interventions um, in particular from Rocky and Rosie. that they have been Marshall's uh, cats and on, on the odd occasion as well from Oscar, the Goodwin family husky. So is the reticular I, I remember hearing
1: them. <laughs> there's two. There's two Hungarian visas, Alfie and oh, Luca, really? named after Luka Modric, because um, <laughs> he was at Spurs and then he left and went to Real Madrid and then he wasn't liked anymore in our family. But anyway, um, <laughs> probably the two worst behaved Hungarian visas in the UK. Um, luckily, I'm not. I'm not at at home with them right now otherwise there would be more interventions coming from them probably around this time <laughs> but uh trying to think of the top of my head of anything particularly funny they're just they just they're kind of they're, they're quite like racing drivers in some respects in terms of they're just get bored so fast and just want to be doing something else like so if you, you know if you're out for a walk and you stop to talk to someone they're just crying and whinging all the time i mean they're so lovely i love dogs so much anyone who's got a dog i'm just like on the floor petting it straight away but these things oh my goodness just a disaster i don't know who trained them but it wasn't me um, uh, <laughs> that, but, um, yeah it's um I've got a lot of dogs.
0: good stuff right we're gonna move on and we're gonna do get into the regular questions Uh, and somewhat quick-fire thing here. And we're going to drag you into some of these. We're going to start with him, sir. There's a number of questions. Um, um, One of the early themes is Ben Keating. Ben Keating doing the Rolex 24 in a DPI. So Ryan Serpstra, Chris Ward, Jonathan Green, Isaac Campuris, have all got questions around uh, that. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't know. Have you ever shared a car with Ben?
1: No no um i know ben reasonably well obviously because he he drove the the only time the Ford GT was Ford. In, in yep. gt program um and i've seen it obviously see, a, see him a lot uh around the paddock um he's for me probably the best bronze in the world um that's amazing i mean the only experience i have of racing two cars is the sebring super season and 12 hour race yes uh, yep and that was unique in some respects. So there was two different pit lanes, and you had to remember which one to come in because you take yourself across <laughs> pretty fast. Um, yeah. And that was clearly, you know, prototype and GT, So it was very different. But I also knew both cars really, really well. So yeah, I mean, he 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 likes to uh, he he likes to do it differently at day Daytona. He obviously doesn't like sleep very much. So um, that's cool that he's doing both. Um, and I guess, you know. Indeed, you know, in, in, in IMSA, as long as you're on the lead lap, come the last three, four hours, anything can happen. And probably, you know, it will be down to, you know, Westy or um, Deval or um, Tristan at that point to, to, to bring the car to the finish. But, I mean, two Rolexes in one race, is, it's not impossible for him this year. And I, I know he's done it before um, in doing two classes. So, yeah, I mean, good on him.
0: Yeah, he it's, it's, it is a, a joy to have around and it'll be his eighth Le Mans uh, coming up in 2022 and it will be the first time uh, in 2022 where he's actually brought the same car back or the same make and model of car back that he's raced previously staying with TF Sport and the Aston Martin but uh, quite the the list the SRT Viper yeah. the Origa 03 the, the only time we had the uh, the Raleigh Multimatic LMP2 car at on one Ferrari with uh, Keating Motorsport in 2018, the 4 GT taking the class, but then a disqualification for the, f- the fuel tank, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Then the Team Project war, uh, One Porsche, and then runner-up uh, this year with TF Sport, and coming back with Tom Ferrier and the guys uh, for this year. But uh, it's it, it. There is something about having the passion of a gentleman driver um, who's also aspiring. Not to beat his peers, but to get onto your coattails as well, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think from my interactions with Ben and, and seeing how he operates, what's very clear to me is he's very, very good at, at building a good team around him. And he's so knowledgeable about how, how the races are won you know, and having the right teammates and the right silver and the right team and the right car and the right BOP and everything like that. So I know he won't have been taking that decision lightly to go with a Cadillac at Daytona, which has such a good record around there. And and clearly JDC, um, they, you know, they won Sebring this year. They were, they've were been on the pace. at A lot of races probably actually, you know, deserve better results. And they did at times got a bit unlucky in a few areas. So, he's he he he's absolutely on it in terms of knowing what it takes to, to 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 build the right team around so that not only can he go and do his job but he's got the right people when he steps out of the car to get the job done as well so um yeah it'd be very interesting to see how it goes
0: it will indeed lots of questions at the moment i can't answer we're going to wait with some of these until mp is back Um, next week, and I'll hope we can get another week in sports cars between Christmas and New Year. We'll check with uh, MP on that one and let you know. Uh, Question about FAF Motorsports, that programme has actually now been uh, announced. Alex Eichmiller, though, asked about WeatherTech Racing, what's their thinking for running two different models? Now, we'll make clear, they have not confirmed that that is what is going to happen. Um, You know, I ran that story, having uh, spoken to uh, the team and got uh, comment from the team I'm very confident we're right that we're looking at a Porsche and a uh, Mercedes AMG I guess the question comes your way uh, with this one Harry not to comment on that particular program because that would not be fair but there is an advantage surely isn't there from a team um, playing the BOP game across two different makes in a big race like that
1: yeah, not thought about that actually, but it's it is true. Clearly, the the BOP is a huge factor, and I never really like talk about BOP to us be because it's just it's kind of like the Voldemort, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> FPR rep that I've ever worked with. Lindsay Morley being the main one, you know, don't talk about BOP in the press. I try She's, not. She's right. She's right, she yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and, and when you see people the about it's like oh, crimey river, but um. But yeah, it's interesting. I didn't think about that. But yeah, I mean, and especially it'd be interesting to see if anyone does a Ben Keaton and and registered in both, obviously. you know. I think that's
0: that's the the suggestion that that Cooper McNeil might. Um, So I think that that could be quite interesting. I think the other choice there is um, I think there might be a decision made on the basis of the driver time. Uh, allocations in gtd pro and and gtd as to and of course that plays in as to whether or not you do field um uh align up with anything other than platinum and gold rated drivers in those cars we know broadly what the the split is going to be but i'm reasonably confident that we're uh, on the right track that it's two cars and it's not two cars of the same make and i would be surprised if that does emerge, if we didn't see at least one name in both cars, um, uh, uh, that, you know, it, it can be the base BOP, it can be the way that the race emerges, it can be weather uh, very often in terms that uh, that can actually affect cars in a very different way depending on what they might expect in terms of weather conditions, what actually the thing doles out. Uh, a car that's quick in the dry is not necessarily uh, going to be quick compared to its in the wet, now is it?
1: Uh, Absolutely. Late. Everything I hear from that from about the Merck is that it's such a such a good car to drive. Um and clearly you have to slow it down. Which yep. I you know with the BOP. So I think of course, you know, you need you need the BOP to be at least in the window to have a chance. But um but yeah, I hear I hear the Merck is very, very nice and easy to drive and and you can get on the limit pretty 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 quickly clearly there's obviously an act to the last half a second um the Porsche, my experience of it this year was uh you know pretty uh yeah just get get in and get on with it but it was it was definitely if it's not dancing if it's not really on the limit it's not fast it's easy i remember just cruising around on the test day and being two seconds off and being like oh i've expected to be a second off like it's really like once you once you're not on the limit it's it's uh you, you lose time very very quickly so i mean there's probably quite quite differing cars So that'd be quite interesting if you end yeah. in the same race in one car you sort of is more like a, a Mazda, which really needs to be ragged and the other is a bit more like an Oracle that needs to be nice and uh you know, coaxed around so yeah, not, for nothing, that Porsche, yeah, not for
0: nothing, a Porsche yes, not I mean, for nothing there are Porsche specialists, it? Before all we know absolutely. Kevin Estra might be dog slow in something other than a Porsche.
2: Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> well I've mean, seen not. him I'm in McLaren, I can now. tell
0: you he's absolutely not. But... Sorry, yeah. Kevin. Didn't mean to come out like that, but... <laughs> <laughs> But it's uh, it, it it certainly is a very different proposition from just about anything else out there. And remember, the Porsche you were driving was a mid-engine one, not the rear-engine GTD cars, yeah. which you know are very much more the traditional kind of makeup. Carl uh, Kaminski comes in with, with AWA making the move up to WeatherTech series in LMP3 instead of GTD. They've mentioned both economics and BOP. Are the LMP3s cheaper to run in terms of support and consumables? Or the main cost difference is the cars and LMP3s running fewer rounds? It's all of the above is the is the uh, the straight answer. Um, in terms of the actual cost of the car, it's fundamentally cheaper than just about, uh, well, in fact, any um, new Uh, GT3 Uh, running costs they will be cheaper uh, because the remember the parts uh, packages for LMP3 are cost capped as the car is as well. Um, It's one of the reasons we're seeing a lot of teams that have been running GT cars if either uh, switching to or adding to their fleet uh, an LMP3 in Europe in particular, and there'll be a lot more to come on that front as we get close to the 2022 season with some news to come uh, around LMP3. Uh, But it, it gives, I guess, Harry, a firm basis for a team that's got ambition, stepping out from GT4, in the case of AWA, into the Interweather Tech Sports Car Championship, to find out where they are against the overall competition in a spec class and test their driving metal and their engineering metal on a relatively low cost platform
1: it is it's it you know being in the IMSA paddock and in the IMSA races itself the weather tech championship is it's it's definitely a step up um but I think it's like you say it's it's a it's a perfect platform M 3 is only going to become more established in IMSA once as it came in this year and you know you you see some very fast drivers you know Spencer Piggott was in there this year obviously um you know IndyCar guys as well so yeah. um clearly uh you know the level at the front is fast uh and high and uh yeah it's a perfect I mean I I love the Pilot Cup race by the way on the Friday yeah. or the Saturday like it's just that's for me is one of the best races of the weekend I love watching that especially obviously when automatic will running in the car in it um but it's it's clearly like you say you you can kind of get sometimes become accustomed to a certain level that's required to win, and then you step up to uh, you know the most professional um, race and and you see even if you're not learning from the other P3 teams but you see what the P2 teams are doing or DPI teams are doing or GT Pro teams are doing you you learn and improve and 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 and, and yeah it, it's um, it'll be interesting to see how they get on for sure i mean p3 is uh, can be carnage at times um but i uh, i i love having them there to be honest because it you know it's more it, it makes for you know harder to get through in, in terms of the traffic uh and it's just more of a challenge and more cars on track it just create you know it creates more variables so um yeah it's, it's great that they are them 60 cars that they turn it's going to be it's going to be like Freeway in rush hour, but uh, it's going to be awesome as well.
0: It seems to me that it's, it's likely to be that class, if uh, of all of them, that is where a selection committee is going to be making some choices. And uh, well, anybody I think committing to a full season is going to be um, looking good to be on the grid for the Rolex and great to see teams stepping up. And hopefully, we'll see in the IMSA Championship what we've seen for quite a while now in Europe which is those teams stepping up from either GT3 efforts or LMP3 efforts to move on up through the ladder, up to the WC, up to Le Mans, and then remain there. A great example of it, and a team that you race with this season, TF Sport, got their first breakthrough in the Michelin Le Mans Cup uh, in the first season, when it was a, a, simply a GT3 Um uh, championship and look look where they are now with multiple cars in multiple championships and winning races and winning championships uh, the world over these ladder systems they've become more embedded and they are proving to be very useful indeed i, you know, I think you, you 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 didn't quite profit from that did you you were just at the the point at which P three was coming on board and the Michelin Amon Cup was coming on board, you were already on your way, weren't you, with you know, as an established star really in LMP two. But, you know, what we've seen is, frankly, with GT three, GT four, LMP three coming into L M P two, for my money, Harry, we will look back and in this era, be speaking far less about a lost generation of talent than perhaps we were ten and twenty years
1: ago. Yeah, I completely agree, and it made perfect sense at the time for them, for the ACO to create LMP3, and what amazing success it's been. And like you say, teams and drivers have, have come away through. You know, United started in, in. Yeah, I know they're doing GT stuff, but you know they they were you know big big front running team in p3 and then i remember they stepped up to p2 i think 2017 it was and look how far they've come and so it's 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 amazing for drivers it's amazing for teams it's amazing for everyone really involved the championships as well with the car counts. so it's been a big success and actually you know as we've kind of touched on earlier with with lmp2 am it's also a stepping stone for the gentleman drivers to drive in a slightly lesser capable car, get experience, but being in the same race, whether it be in IMSA or ELMS or something like that, and then have have an opportunity to step up to LMP2, uh, whether that be in WEC or um, in EMS or in America. So, uh, you know, cause like, as we already said, you know, those, those MP2 cars are so fast now that yeah. it it's difficult to just jump in to one of those without, you know, if you've been racing Radicals or GT4 or something so it's it's great to have that stepping stone um and like i say the level at the front you know if it's colin braun in the car or um <laughs> there's so many good drivers that uh yes it, it, it the level's high you know you know people like duncan tappy you know made a complete career out of bracing mp3 which is amazing as well you know that it, it, it's good for professional drivers as much as it is um for for ams and um new teams coming in so good luck to them i mean like i say you know who's saying they in three or four years time they can't be running dpi cars if they get the right um you know the, the, the right structure the right funding the right um people driving them so
0: absolutely right i mean and it, it gives that uh, it's a realistic stepping stone isn't it i mean you know a lot of, of drivers nowadays earn their keep in coaching um uh, out there, uh, away from the racetrack, and that that the LMP3, GT4 as well, gives that realistic first step on the international ladder that could not just take their client, but them as well, uh, back into uh, international racing, where perhaps, like I say, ten years ago, that opportunity just wasn't there. That the step was too big to go from coaching someone around in a road car on a track day. Uh, to the international stage, that that opportunity simply simply wasn't there in those days.
1: Yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Like to think back then how big the step was. But yeah, it's definitely been there's Definitely been some some wrongs put into the ladder to 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 help that now. And um, someone like Ryan Dell is a great example at the moment. Obviously, you know, factory driver in the past and and top line top line racer, but he, he does it fantastically with his coaching structure and um and he clearly has um used that this whole structure to his his advantage and, and put in his clients in the right cars for their level at the time and their ambitions and obviously ultimately their budget. Um and it it you see all the time, you know, driver pairings, you know, the bronze and the silver or gold that have been together for a long, long time. And No, no different really to how it was with me and Simon back in P2 back in the day. We had three really strong years together, and you and you see that all the time with um, drivers like Guy Smith who've been with the same same people for years and years and years, and it's it's fantastic. Great stuff. Uh, we're going to
0: take just one more about uh, the IMSA package that comes from the real B. Morton, as opposed to the unreal B. Morton, presumably. Based on, he says, on the cryptic answer from uh, MP last week about a certain GTD team and their new Teutonic car. If you didn't hear that, uh, it's available uh, on popbeam for the Marshall Pirate podcast last week to catch up with what uh, everybody that does understand this um, does already know. Is it known how many M4 GT3s have been ordered? How many orders are current? Uh, any IMSA customer teams in jeopardy of missing Daytona? Well, if you listen to what Marshall said last week, and I'm not going to repeat it, I think the the choice there was either the car will be there, or they've got options to bring a different car for perhaps one round. In terms of cars that have uh, been ordered don't have a number. But I can tell you which ones have been delivered so far. So we know that uh, STR, uh, Samantha Town Racing, have got both of their planned cars. They'll both be at the Dubai 24 Hours. One is committed to the GT World Challenge America that announced uh, firmly uh, this week. We know that Schubert Motorsport will have a car at the 24 Hours of Dubai. We know that Vulcan Horse uh, Motorsport uh, have had at least one of their two cars delivered so far. And both of those cars are committed for the Asian Le Mans series, with again the driver lineup being confirmed for uh, both Vulcan horse cars in the Asian Le Mans series and uh, the other three I've already mentioned. And then you've got uh, the IMSA cars, the ones there that we know have already been confirmed uh, Turner Motorsports in GTD rather than GTD Pro, and with their four uh, driver crew. Announced and then BMW Team RL with two in GTD Pro, and that announcement uh, of their driver lineup will come uh, post Christmas. So they're the cars we already know are committed. There are significantly more than that in the order book, and very sensibly, of course, BMW are prioritising the teams that require their cars earlier for their for their planned programmes. So looks to me like they're just about at the kind of the edge of their ability to fulfill. Um, but it does seem to me that they're getting those cars where they're needed uh, in pretty good order. That finishes us for IMSA. We're going to move on and do a little bit of Wek Aslam's Elms and Aiko. That's our ACO rules racing category. Uh, I'll ask you this question, uh Harry. Did you did you see the single picture we've seen so far of the Persia? Uh,
1: I have seen it, yeah.
0: With the um, um the the very blunt um a bit of Photoshopping designed to create the very debates that has now been stimulated in, uh, amongst our questioners with Damien Peachman, Gustavo Bamber, Kevin McCormick, uh, Cornick rather, amongst those basically asking or indeed in some cases telling me uh, what the rear of that car has. So to fill in the gap, <laughs> metaphorically rather than actually, uh, what we were told in the run-up to seeing the car was that all of their simulation uh, data suggested that the correct way to go with this car was no traditional rear wing, uh, but that their program had facility, should the real world testing data uh, not accord with what they've been finding in simulation, that the car might run with a rear wing. If you're not uh, familiar with what we're talking about here, there was a single uh, image shown for what looked like a shakedown run on a test track rather than a racetrack. And the middle part of the rear of the car was uh, obscured with a bit of a Peugeot Sport blodge. And since then, lots of people have been working with Photoshop to see whether or not we're looking at a rear wing, which at first sight suggests it might be. Whether or not it might be two rear winglets uh, on uh, either rear uh, rear wing of the of the the vehicle. Uh, Gustavo Bamba, for instance, saying that he knows that uh, the car will have two mini wings. What do you reckon, H? What, what would you like to see that car coming out with it? It's a spectacular-looking thing. Uh, what do you think uh, we're going to see when we finally see on guy's pictures of the 9X8? I
1: think it'd be quite cool to have it without the wing, wouldn't it? I mean, just for variety and, um, you know, it's obviously it's out there, it's different. It kind of is probably the, the most out their car since the, the the nissan to be fair yeah um, i think you're right yeah and i'd be surprised if their simulation data was massively out and they needed to survive so by, by so much that they actually needed to put rear wing on but who knows what's going on in the background and whether it makes it then difficult to you know if it's too fast and straight because it's so low drag and maybe maybe the aco won't want them to have a rear wing i don't know but uh um i quite like to see it about it to be honest i at first look i wasn't sure but the more i kind of the more i kind of see the renderings i think it's um it's grown on me that car um it's a bit of so... a backmobile
0: it, it is it is it is quirky and people like quirky and different and that to be blunt is what hypercar was always meant to be about it was meant to be a sort of run what you brung within a, um, uh assists a series of regulations and dimensions etc but for the moment they showed the first Red Wings that car the internet lit up um you know people were excited about it and I think you're absolutely right in a way that we've not really seen since the Nissan was first revealed
1: yeah exactly it's um I'm very intrigued to see how, how it goes and no doubt it'll be fast um but yeah be be nice like you say that shot it does look you know, i'm looking at it right now it does very much look like there is a another element of the of the rear wing on there so um but then you look yeah. at it
0: and you look at it closely and is it is that just is that just exactly yeah they've been clever because what they've done is to stimulate debates without you know um an answer to it so people will keep talking about it as we are now a week after that was shown um to to answer a question we don't know the answer to and only they do and it by the way by the time we get the answer to the question it might be a different answer because they've not actually track tested the car properly yet it's it's uh it's its run out but that's a that's about it um clever marketing from them um i hope we see uh again a chance to see the car in all its uh its early version glory soon i also hope by the way we get to hear when they are planning to run it. There's been all sorts of stories around about delay to the programme because of regulation, et cetera, et cetera. Much more to come on hypercars and regulations, et cetera, uh, as we get into um, the pre-season. But, uh, you know, we already know we're going to see some changes to the Glickenhaus. Jim Glickenhaus has already revealed uh, amongst the changes for the 007 will be break by wire uh, for that car. Um, I wrote uh, for Delhi Sports Car that you're going to see a, a revised Tota Giro 10 as well, a uh, significantly revised uh, car, some of which might be obvious, some of which won't be. Uh, so it's not going to be as you were um, in 2022. It's going to be interesting once we've got new blood coming in as well. And the, the, the prospective new blood is, of course, Peugeot whenever they decide to debut the car. We hope. Uh, from the Bicollis slash Wall slash Era slash uh, whatever they're going to call it, um, and we hope that, that car is going to be out there as well. That car we are told should be testing soon, um, and then we'll see what else uh, the the racing industry will will chuck at us. But it's exciting times as this the field is beginning to gather and it's coming in a way in which we're given space to. Debate. We're given space to get excited about it. And much as it's quite frustrating that we're not going from two or three cars straight to 14 or 15. For me, Harry, I'm sure you feel rather differently because, of course, career depends on some of the decisions here. It is an exciting time.
1: It's hugely exciting. It's hugely exciting. And it was a strange one for me when the whole Convergence um, announcement was made because it was at Daytona, wasn't it, last year? It was. It was, yeah. And, um, you know, I've never heard so many rumours and plans and then announcements for programmes so far in the future. Like, you know, everyone had been talking about Porsche and Audi and um, LMDH, but it's you know we're still over a year away from from seeing those cars, uh, and then in over India. a year beyond uh, that from them racing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know. So, um, yeah, it's 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 quite cool that we've got this sort of next season's a bit of a teaser for I think you know for you know hyperdrive crazy LMP racing that we probably haven't seen. You know, ever really and, and probably goes back to the sort of 90s sports car, you know, GT1 heyday sort of thing. It's going to be insane. I can't wait for it. Um, it's going to be interesting. So, one thing I just question I have for you, just based on that answer, was do you think there's a chance that Peugeot might not be seen at Sebring and then and go straight to Spa? Before I, 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 I to think
0: I, I'm not expecting to see them at Sebring. Um, okay. I'm hoping. That the single source story that uh, talked about significant delay to the program is incorrect uh, because that implied that they might not be at Le Mans, um, but they'll come when they're ready. I think is what it comes down to. And the the one thing counting against them delaying too long this season is that I don't believe they would want to have their entire running. Uh, in race running ahead of 2023 if that's what they choose to do um at significant arms length what do i mean by that i think they'll want a race in europe Um uh, I, I don't see them wanting to have the first two races of that program being you know in fuji and bahrain uh you would imagine that they'll want to give themselves a, a slightly easier time of that you know Spa. If all things were equal, you would have to say that Spa would be where you choose to start, wouldn't it? Um, if you're not going to take it. And I can understand why, by the way, they wouldn't take it to Sebring. Um, it is a punishing place to start. And you do want to put on the best possible show you, you can with a brand new car. Um, but for me, Spa and Le Mans would be where I'd love to see them. Am I sure that we'll see them there? I'm really not. Uh, I, th- I suspect we might see quite a conservative approach from them. Who knows? If the car comes out and absolutely aces its initial testing uh, program, then you know I think we might see something a bit recast. Might we see the car at Spa and not them on? That's possible too. You know I think whatever happens, can guarantee this: wherever the Peugeot turns up, it's going to be a very welcome addition to that grid because people are hungry for hypercar to move along uh, at some pace, and we know the cavalry's coming, but the cavalry, you know, doesn't appear to be using its spurs quite yet, uh, and I think that's what people would like to see. I know you'd like to see it. I mean, th- th- I've got one more question, actually. It comes to you all about this one, which is there's clearly a lot of programmes out there. Some of the, the pieces are in place here, and I'm not going to ask where you are on that front because that wouldn't be fair. Um, some of the pieces are in place. But what is the chatter like between the people in your orbit? You know, the the guys who either are going to be in those cars or are going to be within a reasonable shot of getting uh, a a go in uh, in those cars. What's the kind of the level of chatter and intel uh, from amongst the guys involved in the various programmes? Or do you keep yourselves very much siloed from it?
1: There's definitely speculation, isn't there? And I think clearly some... Some some teams are, there, there's, there's there's more question marks on, on unknowns and others uh, you can clearly see a starting to form um, lineups and there's more information out there. So I think ultimately at the highest level, you know, every driver and manager worth their salt is speaking with everyone. So I guess there's generally a sort of, uh, there, there's rumours going around. And I think, you know, for a, a long time, people have known that about, Felipe and Dane at Porsche, for example, and clearly, um yeah, they're, they're definitely the WhatsApp groups is a bit of banter back and forth, you know, or what you know have you, have you picked your road car yet and all this sort of all this sort of chat. but um, um I think obviously things are kept as close to their chest as they could possibly can be in terms of where you're going where you're going to be but at the same time there's kind of sometimes they just end up being open paddock secrets uh very quickly and and rarely are they wrong i remember when Felipe went to Acura you know that that was kind of that was going around all the WhatsApp groups. Everyone was sort of saying, "Have you picked your your t- Honda Type R yet?" and all that stuff. You know, he's trying not to smile and, <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. So we know how to we know we know how to confirm whether it's you know you can you can ask the right probing question and see if there's a smile or just a confused look to to see if if the rumor is true or not. So, um, but I think it's just a general level of excitement and and clearly it's an interest in you. You know. Obviously, Felipe just being announced, you know, in the in the GTD Porsche. Uh, or, um, for example, you, you know, there's going to be drivers, um, driving staff being in championships that maybe they're not you wouldn't be used to seeing them in or haven't been in that in the past as part of a holding pattern and keeping sharp while there's a lot of testing going on for 23, and especially in terms of Clearly the Clearly, that the the peugeot guys are you know it's all announced and they're you know i haven't really heard anything about the car to be honest from any of them but um but yeah there's definitely it's definitely a lot of chatter for sure
0: good stuff good stuff we're gonna do a quick bit of a grab bag for a couple here to, to move things along um we've got a question here from josie tapia which uh I think uh, either Marshall or I possibly both mentioned some P2 switching over to IMSA, in part because the WC's conservative, understandably conservative calendar size. Jose uh, saying, do we think this is causing the ACO uh, to maybe try and increase the round size sooner than I anticipated? No, I think they are. They have a plan, they're sticking to it. Uh, it is going to be conservative because the difference, of course, between IMSA and WC is WC are dealing with international and intercontinental uh borders and health controls and logistics and I jose i cannot overestimate for you just how tough a uh, a task that is right now there's a great example of it actually this morning uh with the confirmation of the gt world challenge asia calendar which is the second iteration of that calendar uh it is focused um I think it's four out of six race meetings are going to be in Japan. It starts in Sepang, finishes at a new track in Indonesia, which means one of the Sepang races is not happening. Thailand's not happening. China's not happening. And that, by the way, will be the first season in GT World Challenge Asia for three years. Uh, they missed 20 and they missed 21. That's how tough it is. That's why we're racing in the Gulf uh, this coming season with Aisha series again. So uh, the answer there is they're going to stick to their Conservative plan, and I believe they are correct to do so. Stuart Hart says, with ACO GT3 on the horizon, do you expect an IMSA-like marketing fee to be in place uh, with the WEC? Read something along the lines of GT3 engines, uh, entries permitted, only if the said OEM has a hypercar commitment. There'll need to be a system in place, he says, to narrow down entries to a core. I've heard the same as you have. We don't know exactly what is going to come forward uh with the gt3 based rule set there's been indications that it might not be completely pure gt3 quite what that means we don't know yet i certainly have heard that there is the potential uh for the uh, aco to determine who comes along by the commitment they're making in their full factory class which of course is the hypercar class the one thing that is uh, different um, Uh, as of right for WEC over IMSA, is that the WEC is an invitation event. Uh, You can select there, um, and they have done so in the past. Teams have been turned away, and you would guess, and I think you're correct, Stuart, that uh, once GT3 becomes available as an option for the WEC, that the demand level might well go pretty substantially north, and I would expect there to be a substantial selection Process for the WEC in general and the Le Mans 24 Hours in particular required. Uh, next one, Gary Quatermain and uh, Jordan Hotwood with slightly different questions on the McLaren theme. Gary says, Any news yet from McLaren joining the masses enrolling in the LMDH programme? Uh, the answer there is Zach Brown's made pretty repeated statements that uh, the determination will be made. In 22, that means that you won't see anything until 24 at the earliest. Uh, if you read racer.com, and I urge you to do so, because there's some cracking stuff at the moment on race.com from Marshall on LMDH in particular, I can't recall whether or not there's been two or three uh, digests of a PC, a much bigger PC wrote for the current issue of Racer magazine, uh, where he divulges that uh, one of the options for McLaren could be a hookup uh, with an engine supplier with Ford. Um and McLaren Ford, that's 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 of to country with. Is is the McLaren Ford kind of bromance maybe a little bit before your time, H? I think it probably is.
1: I think so. I think it probably is, yeah. I mean yeah yeah it'd be amazing if McLaren came into LGH, wouldn't it it'd be absolutely it would. insane. The one thing that I, I wonder is just you know, a good friend and former teammate, Ben Barnico, obviously got a great drive with, with Lexus that he announced the other day. And clearly Ben, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that's a, a little bit of a... Uh, of a, a pointer. Of an indication of... Mm, there's just been so much chat for so long. It'd be so good, obviously, if it yeah. did come in. It'd be amazing. But uh, it's a bit like here, you know...
0: Come uh, tomorrow. Manufacturers,
1: yeah, 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 that, that ha- it just doesn't hasn't quite happened. So I wonder whether if there was if if there was any inside info that we don't know about that other people in McLaren do. I I wonder whether Ben would have stayed knowing that was coming, but he didn't. So maybe that. Maybe there's either no info or maybe they're not going
0: to. It's know an it. interesting point. It is. I mean, oddly enough, he's, Ben is actually uh, name checked in Jordan's question, who says uh, Does McLaren GT program fall under Zach Brown's control? If so, how does he feel about it? No one ever seems to bring it up while interviewing him. Uh, McLaren have been expanding their presence across motorsport, but we haven't seen a full multi car factory supported effort since the Stracker days. McLaren also have let a number of great drivers go from their factory roster, most recently being Ben Barnicoat. Why do they not seem to take Pro GT racing as seriously as they used to? Well, first thing to say is it is very much a customer racing program. So uh, that's the first thing to say there. I, I, you know, I hear absolutely what you say, Harry. Uh, about Ben. i I be honest with you, in terms of prospects that out that are out there. I couldn't rate him highly enough. I think he's an extraordinary talent. Um, in terms of how the structure works, it's sort of fluid at the moment with McLaren, uh, the longtime head of McLaren Automotive left fairly recently. There have been some structural changes there. I mean, it, it, it will not have been missed on listeners to the weekend sports cars, the stories that were doing the rounds and then the firm denials that Audi might be involved in a bid to buy the McLaren Group. Um, I would say firm denials, firm denials that it had happened, not that there were discussions underway that it might. That might have all sorts of things to play. McLaren is a very unique company um, in terms of the... The reach it's got in certain areas of the of the industry and the sports, I think there are going to be some interesting storylines emerging uh, from Woking in the the coming weeks and months. Um, and I I certainly would not be saying it definitely won't happen. I absolutely wouldn't be saying that it definitely will either. I think there's a will for good things to come forward. You are by the way going to see more McLarens with more teams. Uh, coming forward in the coming weeks and months watch this space there are at least two uh big announcements to come about McLaren um in GT racing so watch for that one um it's a shame but Ben's gone uh, i'll say that much uh because i think he could have done some great things there but i think he's going to go on and do great things with Lexus in the United States and i think he's going to be like yourself harry another one of these really talented European British racers that find a very happy home uh, in IMSA racing.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly agree. And I think we summed the, the McLaren thing up perfectly, to be honest. Um, very eloquent indeed. You must have been doing this for a while, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, let's, let's push ben, on. Ben, ben, ben the, 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 is, yeah, sorry. sorry. No, no, you're sorry. You, I, I cut across you. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I raced to Ben for a season with Thunderhead and Jack Manchester, and uh, not only is he very fast, but he's super, super determined, and he, he's only young, but he he wants everything, and he wants it yesterday, do you, do you know what I mean, which is great. Sometimes, you know, I had to, you know, a few times I said to him, like, I'm I, I it was exactly the same stage in your career, like, four years ago, and... You just, sometimes you have to just let, and I know he's been a bit frustrated and the opportunity doesn't quite come as much as his talent deserves. But This is a great opportunity for him now. And it's kind of what I meant when I said to him a couple of years ago, I know like you want the big, big chance and the big championship and the big platform, but it will come because he's got the speed and he's likable and, and, uh, He's got the results behind him. So, yeah, it's what he deserves. And I think he will be, him and uh, Jack Horser, be extremely strong in that car next year.
0: I think you're absolutely right. And uh, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in GTD Pro for for absolutely for certain. We move on, Harry. We're coming towards the end of uh, this show. And unsurprisingly, a couple of questions about the biggest uh, story in motorsports over. Um, I would suggest about the last decade Uh, and Nick Lightby, Brian McCoy, Ewan Wayne uh, and others talking about effectively race control. Clearly this is based on the scenes that actually happened at the end of the final race in the Formula One world championship. I have to tell you, by the way, the first Formula One race, I believe I've watched from beginning to end in about three years um and i will say this i was completely disgusted with with the way that that was managed um the guys we've got here uh, are making uh, some comparisons with things we've seen in IMSA things we've seen in the WEC with the end of the race uh, at Bahrain 8 hours that decided the world championship in GTE things we saw in DTM um you know uh, first and foremost the racing driver's perspective tell us we're not we're not fans we're fans of motorsport but i i don't kind of hold a candle for any particular formula one driver i don't know if you do uh they're both extraordinary talents max verstappen and uh and the other guy sir lewis hamilton that's the one hmm. um but how did you see that i mean I take it you watched it live
1: yeah i did um I thought it was outrageous at the start how Hamilton didn't have to get the place back. I mean, again, if that was if that was him, sir, <laughs> he'd be going across the grass. And you know, ultimately, I don't think there was contact. I think he clearly could have. He was. He was definitely, you know, forced into either basically stopping the car on a sixpence, and, and or or just driving and maintaining the position and arguing about it afterwards but that was the wrong decision. Um, I'm personally not a huge fan of the whole red flag and like five, you know, yep. everyone gets to change tires, but I just can't understand why that wasn't the go-to option because it kind of ticks every box. I mean, yep. this whole lobbying with the race director and and the whole world here in it is just very odd as well. Clearly Toto and Christian are, you know, big personalities, big characters and wouldn't have got the position without being that. And I think, you know, Michael Massey is is clearly influenced by their decisions. And I think clearly the whole world hearing about, you know, the the discussions and options, which I've, I've heard stuff like that before, but it's all behind closed doors. You know, it's all behind closed doors. You don't, you know, you know, that whole grid thing in Saudi was just crazy how that was all broadcast to the world. But for me, the, it was a clear, you know, they set a precedent of we will red flag races and do the whole, tire change and have like a five i just don't understand why they didn't do that it ticks every box because it's actually probably it was much fairer than what the actual outcome ended up being so it t- 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 ticks that fairness box it ticks the box of it being exciting how could it be any better than a five-lap shootout for a world championship <laughs> everyone same same tires, and it ultimately sorts the situation out in terms of you know, his cars, you know, Latifi's cars recovered safely and Marshall's aren't at risk. So I just don't understand For Why me, it wasn't the go to watch. Really like yeah. I don't really like that option, but they've made that option available this year. So why not do that? The whole thing at the end, I mean, who knows what happened? Who knows if there was lobbying in the background? You can't finish the race under the safety car. Who knows if they just sort of did everything they could just to, to, just to get the race running and didn't realize that it actually wasn't going to be a race. But I maybe we'll never find out about that. I don't know, but I, I just I just don't understand that. I, I
0: think understand. you've come as close to nailing it as anybody has, to be honest with you. I mean, for for my money, um, I think Formula One, Liberty, FOM have allowed themselves to be seduced a little into the Netflix era by courting controversy, broadcastable controversy. Um, I think the principle of uh th- putting to air a selection of that controversy is, to be blunt, greedy and stupid. It's done nothing good for the sport at all. If you're going to do that, the missing piece of the picture before we got to Abu Dhabi is that both Christian Horner and Toto Wolf should have been actually charged at some point with bringing the sport into disrepute. That's the reality of it. Both of them were behaving in the public eye, in an arena, in a a manner in which it was not putting the sport to a good light. If you're going to make the decision to put that stuff to air, then the same rules should apply to those that must know they've got the potential of coming to air. And certainly as the season went on, they absolutely knew because they were using that opportunity. Then you've got to crack down on it. For me, certainly Christian Horner absolutely crossed the line. Uh, in his comments about, was it a rogue marshal, I think he described. Um, And, you know, the punishment didn't quite fit the crime uh, for me. I I, I can't even imagine what the punishment would have been had that happened in any other championship on the planet, is the the reality. Um, I'm not a fan of uh, broadcasting a comment without context. It's very clear that everything we heard from the those team principals and their teams and from Michael Massey was uh was a selection. That's wrong. It's very clear as well that those selections are not made by people that might have to face up to the consequences face to face in the panic, frankly. I'm sure that's all happening back at FOM uh kind of TV base, uh, which I believe is back in the UK, uh, and it feels that way. But um <sighs> You want to feel really good at the end of a, a world championship that was as good as that clearly was. And in the same way that what happened at the end of the WC didn't give you that feeling, um, it wasn't quite as clear cut uh, as it appeared. And I've had those conversations now to find out what actually did happen. And I'm clearer in my uh, my conclusions about what went wrong there, but it still wasn't a great look. That, I mean, what we saw in Abu Dhabi was a disaster in terms of the the look and feel. And unfortunately as well, Harry, it it played to something that you must have come across uh, because you're that generation, which was the the anger, the bile, the unpleasantness that comes in the social media age and directed in all sorts of directions at, at Michael Massey, at the team bosses at both drivers, Nicholas Latifi, who's put out a statement today, um, making it clear just how bad the response from a number of the public was. With those big numbers that they're clearly very keen on pushing hard, has to come some responsibility about the way in which those matters that we all now know about in society uh, come with as well. There is responsibility to look after the people in that paddock and not to expose them unnecessarily to the kind of God awful nonsense that you know certain mindless members of the public seem delighted to be able to pour out s- at any given time. You know, I know it's not the same level of exposure, but I'm sure you've had your degree a degree of unpleasantness pointed in your direction on social media.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember when I took out Dancing with the Stars winner and also quite handy in a race car uh, editor. <laughs> <was at> <laughs> Mate, yep. I mean, I was I was getting a mass, massage in the motor term. We, I mean, I'm just the type of person would just had to laugh, have to laugh at it, but the comments were just outrageous. You know, before, it, you know, comp- obviously in to to Formula One, it, you know, it was, um, you know, less exposure. But I, was, I mean, he's clearly popular. <laughs> and they weren't <laughs> very happy with him at the time. I just said, it was definitely more on me than him. So, um yeah, I, I, uh, some of them were funny and then some are just like, mate, you're just so far over the line there. It's untrue, yeah. but that's another conversation completely, but we all know, unfortunately, all too well about keyboard warriors and, you know, online abuse and everything like that. And it's just,
2: it's gotta be yeah, to for they- us, we, we, yeah, we don't
1: we don't get it as bad as footballers or, or whatever, or even as F1 drivers. But, I mean, the, 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 the thing that is, you know, amazing about the netflix series is you know i've seen it myself with my friends you know they're, they're sort of not many of my home friends are really into motorsport that much not compared to yeah the lists that will listen to us right now but i'm getting texts all the time like oh what do you think about next year's cars and yeah. what how, how you know what what these new you know what do you think about the wider tyres? and i'm from from friends it's a powerful back, medium I, it's a very powerful they bar- medium they barely even <laughs> i'm so, I, <laughs> I don't think until this year they knew more than 3 drivers on the grid and it's like <laughs> the village now is incredible and 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 it's so well timed with the fact that we've just had one of the best seasons ever um so it's great but like you say i think sunday just crossed way too far into 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 netflix land and and they forgot about the sporting side of things, and clearly, sport is entertainment, and there is no, you don't have your sport without yeah. the entertainment factor. But at the same time, just crucifying someone uh, who's about to win a world championship just to just to make it exciting is it's the equivalent, isn't it? You know, I've used this analogy a few times. When I have been to my friends, it's the equivalent of a team being one nil down. In extra time of the Champions League final, and yeah, and the losing team just gets to bring two two extra players on just to make it. Well, exciting. It's, for me, it was
0: actually what I think them? it was more extreme than that. I think it's like, you know, um, it's like Liverpool Tottenham, okay, and Liverpool are three nil up, and then with five minutes to go, the referee's next goal wins, and yeah. you know there was no point at which that race was not going to be won by Lewis Hamilton on pace. No, no point at, at all. Uh, and it, it just it struck me as being supremely unfair and the way it was presented was unfair and that's why by the way if you did see my slightly bad tempered tweet that basically said who's pulling the strings that's what i meant i meant who is basically controlling that decision making process not just in terms of what was done but actually what was broadcast as well and it's that it was the it did sort of feel as if it was Scripted for TV, and it shouldn't be. It's we should never forget it's a battle. It's a battle for uh, to, to remind people that the sport that I love and I love writing about and love talking about, and you love doing in the extraordinary way that you do, is a sport and is an athletic sport at that. And it's not easy to get that point across. And when you get that opportunity, to talk to an audience, to inform an audience, to educate an audience, and you sort of fumble it uh, for for clicks. That for me, that's wrong. I think they've learned the lesson. I, you know, it, it would appear that we're not going to be hearing messages to and from race control between the the teams in the future. And I think that's completely correct. Okay, and by the way, Harry said it. I'll say it as well. You know, um, would we get exactly what was being said between the two uh, protagonists and the race director? Uh, being said at every race no you wouldn't but some of those matters are very much the kind of um, you know the meat to veg of what goes on in a major race and the way in which it's managed uh, because there are options in terms of the way that you deal with various situations It, it saddened me that that was the way that that championship ended and it saddens me more that what we've got is a sport that's become tribal in the way that politics has become tribal you know, as Atlantic. It's not a positive thing. You know, if we're going to go down the Netflix route or, or similar, and we are because we know that MotoGP are going to go down that route. We know that Le Mans are close to a, a deal to bring something to the WEC and the Centenary Le Mans in 23. We know that's coming. Um, you know, if they're going to do that, it needs to be done with eyes wide open. Yes, we want to draw new blood to the to the uh, to the grid and to the stands and to the TV screens, but not at any cost. That's the point here, not at any cost. Uh, I I think it's completely and wholly unacceptable that, um, you know, races are managed um, in terms of what's gonna be good for the TV audience. And I fundamentally think that trying to build a storyline of controversy is not smart. Uh, In this era right now, unless you're going to very actively manage what happens um, on social media. I'll I'll give you one more thing before we leave this, which is a good friend of mine who was involved in an elite sports uh, at a very public facing level. And it happened for him very, very quickly. He'd been involved as a valued member of that sports in a less forward facing role for many, many years. Uh, Suddenly got a big break. The announcement came that he was going to be involved in it. Instantly, dozens of death threats on social media. Instantly. that It's wrong. It's just, it's a sport for God's sake. You know, yes, in extremis, it it can be life and death, but not like that. Anyway, that's as much as we're going to say on that one. We've been keeping you from uh, the Yule log and uh, and the dogs for way too long, my friend. And we're going to say thanks so much to you, Harry Tinkle, for your time uh, this evening, uh, your performances through the year, and bringing the the curtain down on the master program. I know a massive way to you and all the team. Wish our best to all of you about for whatever comes next. Um, thanks as well for stepping into the breach for uh, Marshall. And uh, I hope Marshall, you're feeling better uh, today than you were yesterday, and better still the day after and the day after that. Um, I'm going to say thanks and good evening to you H uh you want to say something for the to listeners ahead of Christmas
1: yeah just uh thanks for all the support this year you know and all the yeah outpouring of support for the Mazda program it's been incredible um yeah really enjoyed um stepping into Marshall's Shoes this evening it's been fun I've uh yeah spent spent many an hour listening so it's quite quite fun to come on and uh contribute a little bit so yeah just Merry Christmas, happy new year to everyone. And uh, for all those who will be in Daytona, I look forward to seeing you there uh, next year.
0: Fantastic stuff. And I'm going to uh, say on behalf of Marshall and myself, uh, a huge thank you for everybody that listens, that downloads. I mean, Marshall was saying just a couple of weeks ago, seven and a half million downloads of the Marshall Pro podcast since this started to all your efforts away from the track, the Day squad, Uh, particularly on the IndyCar side and your efforts in fundraising for kids who otherwise wouldn't have had a particularly happy Christmas in the Indianapolis area. That's just awesome. And to to be even a tiny part of that community continues to inspire and continues to make me feel very humble. A very Merry Christmas. I know he'd want me to say uh, to all of you from Marshall and from Shabral and for all your best wishes for, the challenges that uh, that life brings uh, for all of us. A Merry Christmas too, from Trudy and myself from here in the UK. Rocky and Rosie are going to need to be uh, fed, uh, I'm sure they get their Christmas can of tuna. Oscar is going to need a walk and then plenty of treats. We're going to say thanks again, once again, for the final time before uh, we break for Christmas, to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers and to TorontoMotorsports.com. I've been Graeme Goodwin, he's been Amazing factory talent, Harry Tinknell. This has been the Week in Sports Cars, part of the Marshall Fruit podcast.